Hello and welcome to a new English edition of my podcast Helium Talk, das Kunstgespräch. My name is Jörg Heikhaus and my guest today is Jonathan Levine from the Jonathan Levine Gallery in New Jersey. After a longer quiet period, Jonathan and I have managed to talk again in this ongoing series of conversations between two veterans of the art world. Yes, that is what we are, veterans, both being around for decades in this often beautiful and crazy but equally often stupid and difficult business. For those who have listened to us before, we can be pretty blunt with our assessments, but I guess this openness is something most of you can appreciate. Are we on the record or off the record? This is, this is off the record. This is all off the record. Well, no, it is not, of course. But hey, this one was pretty difficult from a technological standpoint, mainly. We had to switch platforms three times because nothing really seems to properly work for these long distance conversations. Tried Zencaster, tried Skype, tried StudioLink, all fails with dropouts and quality issues or simply too complicated to set up on my guest's end. Thank you, Jonathan, for bearing with me with this technical fuck-up that I'm currently having with these remote calls. So, and if anyone out there is podcast tech-savvy, please hit me up. I'm open to suggestions to make this a lot easier. And if there is somebody who wants the job of being the producer for Helium Talk... Stop everything you do right now and give me a call. My phone number is on the contact page of our website, heliumtalk.com. You can, of course, also send a mail to hello at heliumtalk.com. Because of these difficulties, there's a lot of cutting and editing in this one. So I decided to turn this episode into a different kind of show, inserting some music by Jonathan's band Cyclone Static and picking up the guitar myself at the studio here and there. In the first part, we talk about the current status of our galleries and about the very early beginnings. Then after experiencing too many difficulties with Zencaster, we switch to Skype. And of course, there's a break in our train of thoughts, which I try to smoothen with a musical interlude. Well, you'll figure it out if you get there. In the second part, we go from our huge shows back in the days to the mega shows of today. We look at the changes and the new art corporations, as we call them, and ponder if we want to be part of this or not. We also try to answer the question of a listener about opening a gallery today, like if it makes sense in the first place or what's to consider. And doing this, we both start to disagree and get provocative. It really becomes a bit of a rant. Jonathan sums this up nicely with calling this one uh, the wonky rambling podcast. <laughs> okay, but now let's get started with this conversation with my man Jonathan Levine, part five. to record i'm recording now okay all right all right let's do this okay <laughs> you know hello people our dear friends and listeners we and, spoke the last time a few weeks ago yeah it has been a while there's a lot of things that have happened i've you know so probably the one thing that i've noticed and many other people noticed you've opened a new space i mean I have, physical space i have opened a new physical space um And I'm sure that's confused people a little if you've been listening to my podcasts um, with you. Uh, basically, what happened was I had this space in Jersey, one space in Jersey City, and you know I was des deciding to close and not quite sure what was going to happen next. And 
through uh, some good fortune, I was offered another space in a better location for like a really low amount of money. And it's larger than the space I was in, nicer, better location, blah, blah, blah. And so I had this space all of a sudden. I needed to let, I needed a, at least an office to move into. So we moved into this office in like December. But it's so big that there was a gallery space in it. So it's like 2,000 square feet. So we kind of just kept doing our thing, getting settled up, doing these set up, doing these online exhibitions. Um, and I decided that I basically decided to do a couple of shows in this space. So um, I'm doing, I just had the one show open with uh, Josh Thiessen, who was the f- first place winner of the first delusional competition. And then the following show is going to be with the first place winner, Win Wallace, his name is, of the second delusional competition. So I'm just doing these two exhibitions. I may do more, but I'm not going to have any kind of a regular schedule. And this space is temporary. So I'm maybe there another year. I don't even know. It just depends because what's, I'm in this building that's getting redeveloped. Yeah. So they're basically going to redevelop this is the floor that I'm on, and they're, they'll, they'll build me out another space depending on what I want, what I need. Um, but I have no desire to run a regular program whatsoever. Um, it's fun to do shows every once in a while. So I'm going to do them as long as I feel they will be profitable and worthwhile. So that's kind of the, the story. Yeah, but it looks good. I, I understand the, the urgency sometimes that we need to think we, we should do an exhibition. I just made, I mean, April 5 this year, I've opened the first exhibition at Helium Cowboy since November last year. Mm-hmm. And this will be the last exhibition at Helium Cowboy this year until after summer where I'm going to do one show with Jens Rausch. And I decided... I will do only one more exhibition this year after that. That will be at the end of November and that will be 15 years of Alex Diamond. It will be a group show oh, okay. um, with nice concept. But I I personally, I've, uh, I like the sh- exhibition that I'm having on right now. It was it's, it's successful in many ways. Lots of people coming by. We get lots of feedback. And this is the thing, you and I, we know how to make exhibitions. We know how to pick great work and, and, and put really good shows together. And people appreciate that still. But... It's so much work and so little reward uh, on many levels that I've just decided I need to focus on what's really important for me. And I mean, this was always part of our conversation, but I've I've been thinking a lot about what's actually important to me right now. And, And I think in regards to gallery work, I can do much more with the podcasts for artists now than I can do by in you know shipping artwork around the world and showing it in a space and inviting people and hoping that somebody might buy with all the power that I put into that and the money of course too I find it much more interesting right now to talk about this get I, I got I got a really good German podcast with um, with two women who have both been working for Eigen and Art, which is one of the biggest galleries in Germany. Neo Rauch is probably a name that you might have heard of. Leipziger Schule. They, right. That's the gallery that actually, you know, was at the foundation of that one. Right. And uh, and they just moved to do a different concept of gallery, one without a space. And they're basically just rethinking gallery 
in a certain way and trying to match it to needs and you know what's what's needed today and there it's like it's a work in progress with them too and that was a really really good talk that i had with them which basically proves a lot of the points that we're trying to make in these in these conversations that there's a big change and nobody really knows what what's it all about and that's that's for me yeah and that for me that's that's the thing where i think it's you know trying to figure out what is the future of the business and um and at the same time really i kind of need to focus on my work (laughs) you know it's just everything's just a huge distraction and it's not not helping me at all so and that's that's the thing and then when i figured out oh hey 2004 was the first exhibition where i've in you know basically invented or it was the inauguration exhibition of alex diamond which was a pure coincidence that this kind of happened was this exhibition that basically lay the foundation to me changing a name and you know sort of trying out the anonymity and that was in april 2000 Four, so that's like 15 years, and I have to do a new book anyway of my work. And I said to, said to myself, "Well, why, why not? You know, focus on on me instead of doing all the other things." So that's actually once you get over the point where you where you rid yourself of the thought that you have to do all these exhibitions and work with these artists and help these artists and 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 promote this um, and say a little bit goodbye to what Helium Cowboy stood for for so many years. I think that's a very important step. Um, it feels good. It's not completely defined yet. Still lots of things I have to work around. It's not going to be a big press release. Oh, um, and I'm not closing Helium Cowboy. I mean, basically, I'm I'm the Helium Cowboy, so how could I close that? But when I saw that you're opening a new space, I knew that we both will always, will, we will always make exhibitions. Yeah, you know, I, it's the thing of it is, is I love making exhibitions. The The mm-hmm. hard part is that it stopped working and, you know, it, it stopped her mm-hmm. working. It hurt me financially. Um, and, you know, it's been a slow death. It's been pretty heartbreaking in a lot of ways. Um, I think it's challenging for everybody in the market, depending on where you're at, you know. Um, and, you know, it's just like you said, you know, you, it's kind of like you have to really think about it differently in the way. And I was thinking about this before we even actually got on this call. You know, if someone ex- asked me what I was doing, I was like, well, basically, I've had to scale down and diversify. And, you know, I can't really count on uh, the system. I really have to count sort of on my own abilities and talents. And that's it. Um, and. You know, I, it's it'll it's a work in progress, like you said, and it'll evolve into something that may take some time. Um, and as you said, and I'm, I imagine I might have said this in the past as well. Uh, what the gallery was, it was great. I I really was. I I set out. I achieved what I set out to do. Um, I wanted to create some kind of legacy, which I think I've done. But it's it's over, and the it's not. I'm not needed in that capacity anymore. So now I get to move on and sort of create something new built on that, of course. And it sort of gives me a lot more freedom to try and explore other things and just be open. And, you know, I'm just focused on like being happy, um, doing work that I like, generating enough income so I can just be relaxed and just kind of like not know exactly what I'm doing all the time, but kind of enjoying that, like, just trying to be a creative entrepreneur, basically. So yeah. working with the, in the arts, but again, who knows where that takes me? <laughs> yeah. But when you, when you look back 
Um, you had a, I think one of the, I, I always like your, your posts and I'm, and, and that's also one thing that I've been changing radically these past weeks that I'm, 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 I'm not on social media that much as it might look actually, because there are posts and stuff like that, but that's also killing me, uh, on <laughs> emotional <laughs> and on a time, um, on, on a timely level, you know, because it just takes up so much of my time. People pe posting properly. Mm -hmm. within these different platforms to get the best results is extremely time consuming. People might not think so, but for, if you're doing it for your business and you have a goal and motivation besides just sharing with a handful of friends, it's, it's a very time consuming process. You have to be, you have to constantly be educating yourself about best marketing practices using these different social media platforms. Yeah, totally. Anyway, you're saying, yeah. Um, And, but one of the, one of, I just wanted to say that one of the posts that your posts are always very nice and often personal and, you know, you send around good links and stuff like that. You basically keep people, um, you know, taking a little bit part of what you're, what you what's driving you. Um, and there was this one photo that you posted of this torn out newspaper clip, um, <laughs> from the CBGB with, uh, with your, was it your first Shepard Ferry show? Yeah. The woman was that? 1998. Barely anyone was using the internet, and the way that people would find out about exhibitions, if you put one on, was you would basically put. I built a mailing list, and I used to hand actually used to hand write hundreds of these out because I didn't have a computer at the time, and I used to hand write everyone's addresses out, isn't that which is crazy? Um, and then I used to postcard all over the city in places that I thought people would be interested i would promote and market a art exhibition at cbgb's gallery like it was a rock show and you know and then i would try to get some press and through local used to be the you know it well i would try to get the voice the village voice but they wouldn't write me up but oftentimes i get written up in what was called the new york free press which was also a free paper and a variety of other places but cbs would always run their little basic ad in like not just the village voice but like all these weeklies in the region uh with even new jersey connecticut blah 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 so if you got listed on there it was kind of a big deal and that would bring people out it's not like now and it was just so funny to see that and then it turned out one of the artists i work with dylan egan he's also a really good friend of mine he used to be in a band called paint and they were also listed on there because they were playing a show. So it was kind of nice. It's always nice to share these pieces of history when you have them and kind of tell your story. It'll, it'll be something I want to do in the future with, uh, my website with, uh, this app that I have coming, that's going to be launched. I'll be like sharing the history of the gallery, which is really 25 years. Um, and, you know, sort of, I don't know, hopefully it's interesting to people. So. 
Yeah, I mean it's totally interesting. I mean that's that's why I why I why I find that that clip is super vintage because it's a newspaper where people we don't we don't promote these things in newspapers right. anymore. That's right. And but but the show itself, I mean, um, I think a lo- most a lot of people claim to have been part of a, of the punk movement now because it's also kind of cool. But still, a lot of young people don't even know what the CBGB was, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and and we're not talking about that one. You, you can Google it, <laughs> and uh, but but just I think it's legendary that you did an exhibition in that space, and I think in your book, you know, you did this book a few yeah. years ago, yeah. Um, which was called delusional, right? That's right. <laughs> like your exhibition. That's right. Um, I think you talk about, you know, how it came to that you're actually showing there, that you're showing artists there. And then just imagine one of the first artists that you've shown there was not that well known at that time and is one of the, what, top five street artists in the yeah. world now? Yeah. You know, I'd say, I'd say Shepard between him and Banksy are the top two, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, at the time, Yeah, you know, try to explain to people how underground all this was and how unimportant it was to everyone. And that's why Shepard and I have had such a long friendship and relationship because I've known him so long. And a lot of other people, uh, like Ron English, people like Anthony Alice Gang, Van Arno, like people going back, you know, I actually even knew Mark Ryden back then, going back, Robert Williams, Joe Coleman, like, when this whole scene was so, you know, nascent, it was very, very early stages. And at that point, I, that was Shepard Ferry's first solo show. I was like 30 years old. So it wasn't like I was some teenager doing this. We were like, I was 15 years past my punk rock teens. And I had been in the underground in this. We were so, I was in the underground for so incredibly long. Now it's all very mainstream People don't really know. Only those who've been in the scene a really, really, really long time kind of know. And it's really a small handful of people. And I'm still really good friends with all those people because we were a certain kind of people. And when I, the way I ended up, I wanted to be at CBs. I, it made sense to me. We don't call it CBGBs. We call it CBs. And so there's CBGBs, the punk rock club. And that's right next door was CBGBs 313 gallery. 313 gallery was this giant gallery that also had a stage and a bar and at night during the day it was a gallery and at night they played mostly like acoustic music or not very heavy it wasn't like punk rock music and such Um, although occasionally they would have really big performances there with like really famous people i could tell you some stories and my goal was to be there at the time because it made sense in terms of my history coming out of punk rock music. And that's how I got gotten into curating by showing underground artists. I was completely and totally dedicated to it. And, um, you know, it was my soul and I was sharing it with people and I was relating it to people. And I thought it was really important. Um, you know, but I don't know that we were thinking, Oh, this thing's going to become mainstream. <laughs> no, I don't think we were even thinking about that. I mean, I was just like, God, it'd be great. I love doing this thing. I'm kind of addicted to it. It'd be really great if I could make a living off of it. Um, me and Shepard always talk about that show because uh, I remember we were selling $30 prints. So I have this 
huge space. It's like 2,000, 3,000 square feet. It was a really large space with all these like, you know, 50 Shepard Fairey silkscreen posters. And a lot of people didn't know who he was. He wasn't obey clothing didn't exist. None of that existed it's before he got really famous. Yeah. And, um, we had five paintings he did in the back and they were like these, like, I don't know, four by four foot paintings. You know, we didn't sell one of them. They were $3,000 each. I could easily sell these for like 50 to 70 grand right now. If I had them, um, <laughs> it's the truth. I remember I somebody, know, I know. somebody accidentally put their guitar through one of them and got damaged. Um, so we had to get insurance to get that covered. Uh, but we sold $30 prints, $10,000 worth of prints. And he and I were like, we thought we were like, we thought we were such rock stars. It was so funny. We talk about it, you know? And the way I met him was what happened was I had just seen, I'd seen this little article written about him and I'd seen his stuff around the city, although he was living in San Diego at the time. And he was just part of, sort of part of this whole underground scene. That's back when Cause used to come into this gallery I ran before he became what he is. And we would just hang out. He was just out of college. And it was when Barry McGee just started to get big and he was about to have his first show at Jeffrey Deitch. And, you know, certain things were just starting to happen with certain people. Raymond Pettibone just started to blow up. Um, and so, I, you know, I saw this little article about Shepard in some underground publication. And I started to see that he was promoting, he was selling prints at a juxtapose and he would take out these black and white like quarter page ads were like, they were really cheap. They were like $250 a, um, at each issue. It was like the cheapest thing you could get from them. And I started to run them too at some point when I started to have Tin Man Alley, the first gallery I owned, cause I didn't have any money, but they worked really well. And I saw he was selling prints. And I remember I asked Jamie O'Shea, who was the editor of Juxtapose at the time. I was like, you know who the shepherd is? And he goes, oh yeah, he gave me his phone number. This is how we used to do it. We didn't email each other. We just cold call each other. And I just called him and said, hey, man, you're doing silkscreen posters? And at the time, I was selling a lot of silkscreen posters at CBGBs with like Frank Kozik and Coop and Derek Hess, who were like the three biggest rock and roll silkscreen poster artists at the time. And it was like real accessible, real inexpensive. I mean, if I sold a $100 print, it was big money for me. Usually they were a $25, $35 print. And I was like, hey, would you – he said, yeah, I'm doing all these prints. I'm like, wow, that's great. You want to do a show? And he's like, absolutely. So that's – and that was a really big deal for him to show at CB's because he's a big punk rock fan, you know, just like me. That's one of the things he and I always related. We are into the same music, old school hip-hop, 80s hardcore, DC bands, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that's kind of how that happened, you know, and that was the beginning of it. But, you know, a lot of people be like, I was at that show. And I'm like, no, you weren't. <laughs> no you weren't <laughs> i just find it fascinating because uh because that's of course it was a it was an existing uh music scene that you basically added the the the, the r to that was not right. necessarily existing in this way in germany that's right yeah our, our our friend ralf kruger he did this mail order um 
uh, rock poster print shop and started to do exhibitions. So I mean, he's pretty close to 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 us as well. And and he was probably the first, at least here in Hamburg, to show uh, th these artists, Derek Hess and 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 the likes as artists. You know, that was not very common in Germany to do that. So of course, when you look then to across the ocean to America, then then that, that's some that's something completely different. But but the motivation here was was not different when I opened Helium Cowboy. It was not. It came out, it started out of my studio. You know, I had the studio space and I wanted to do, I, it was just such a great space. And I had, had a lot of, I had a lot of experience in marketing and PR and, uh, well, basically not because I did PR, but because I had a small agency with another artist together and I was working for a newspaper before and I was, uh, I was working with bands. I was a manager of a band. So then you learn how to promote certain things. So I thought that it's a good idea to, to show other people in that space. But it was just, it was, I just wanted to do something. I just saw an opportunity to show people and to, to, and did not have a business plan behind that. You know, that's basically what I was aiming at that you said before you did it because, you know, it was something you wanted to do and, you know, making a hundred bucks on a print. That was awesome. And I remember I had in this first space, I sometimes rented uh, a desk out to a friend or so who, you know, like consultants or stuff who needed a, a desk for a month or two. So I could, you know, sort of split a little bit of the cost of the space, uh, of the rent uh, with them. And one of, uh, one of my friends at that time, super great creative consultant, uh, really an amazing guy. He was sitting there in an exhibition that I was very proud of, uh, Boris Hoppeck, you know, so it was like yeah. this exhibition. The first one I did with Boris was like out of the blue. I, I just saw something in a, in an independent magazine, just a really small report. I tried to get in touch with him. We agreed that he do a show in Germany. He was living in Barcelona at that time already. And then he just, you know, comes one night with a big roll of, uh, of paperwork and, uh, and he builds a huge installation in the gallery space from cardboard and we're having good fun and we're having a great show. And this friend sits there and says, looks around the exhibition and says, you know, I really like, love this guy. I really think the work is very strong, but Jörg, he will never ever make one cent with this work it will always be just the 50 euro that's now on this these pieces or the 100 euros or i think the most ex expensive piece at that time was below 1000 euro definitely you know and i said well just i don't know it's not necessarily a main motivation what i'm doing it for but you know i think there's something that you might not see and then you know a few years later we're doing huge installations with boris in miami and in basel and and his prices, of course, were getting a lot better. Um, so there was something that a lot of people did not see. Um, and that was, we did this based on the passion and based on what we wanted to do. But we also, I think, in our hearts knew there was something more about this, something different, something else. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I just, I've always been inspired I get inspired by culture. There was something about that time and that point in my life. And also I'm just older now. So obviously I don't, I'm sure there's young people experiencing this right now in a different way with different artists and music, et cetera. Um, but what I was involved with was so like visceral for me. And so people's creativity excited me so much. And I, I wanted to kind of made me think about how, you see, you know, my whole perspective on the gallery world now, I didn't have that. I didn't know it. I didn't know any of this. I did not have the confidence. I didn't know that I was going to have this gallery that was going to be what it was. And, you know, I obviously had a different idea about it. You always idealize things and they're not what you think they're going to be when you get there. Um, but what I was trying to do was I, when I was trying to create 
you know, art, I was, my, my thing was I was trying to create like a counter, like this music, uh, this visual component to the whole music scene I came out of. Like you, I was involved in like, you know, managing things, fan, I had a fanzine, a record label, booking shows, et cetera, when I was in my teens. And I did that all the way into my thirties, actually, uh, in my, to, into my, I'm sorry, my, to the whole, the time I was, when I was curating these shows at CBGB's, I was still booking punk rock shows. I was playing in punk rock bands. I was making my own art, blah, blah, blah. And so like, I was trying to have this counterpart to music. That's what this was all supposed to be. And there was very few artists to choose from at the time. Now we have too many, but a lot of people don't realize, and you make me realize, oh yeah, that's what the whole motivation. It was about it being, I want to create something accessible. And I wasn't all that concerned about money back then. Um, and the, the whole idea of what I ended up doing seemed completely unattainable to me. Having a big New York gallery, at one point I had two spaces and 10 employees. And the amount of money that I had to generate to cover that was more, I couldn't even co comprehend it. But when I started, obviously it happened over a period of 25 years, you're like, oh yeah, no big deal. I mean, even though it is kind of a big deal. And uh then your whole perspective changes on it. And sometimes you forget about, you forget about those moments, like that moment you're talking about with Boris. You forget about like, that was the thing that motivated you. And as you get, as it became more of a business, you were getting further and further away from that. The smaller, more attainable thing to, you know, doing these big, you know, I would then end up doing the Shepard Ferry's exhibition in New York City in 2007, which was nine years later or eight years later or something. And we'd have a space in Dumbo, which was 7,000 square feet, my space in New York, which was like a 2,000 square feet. And we had an art opening and 3,000 people showed up. And we sold the whole show out. We generated like at that time, the numbers were, I think we did $650,000, which is a lot of money. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. He does much better than that now. Um, but that was huge. And it was the biggest success I ever had in my life. And we, you know, the press was crazy. It was just like, we were part of this explosion that was kind of part of the street art movement happening. And it was unbelievable. And, you know, I could never have foreseen that or, you know, any of that. So I don't know where I was going with this, but just thinking about the differences and like one thing to the next and how things change and all sorts of things, you know, but I didn't know anything at when I was, doing a Shepard Ferry show in CBGB's in 1998, we didn't know anything. We were just, it was like, how can we do this affordably? How can we promote in this market? This, I hope we can sell prints. Um, this is going to be really fun. We were stickering all over the place, but that, that, that's what that, that going back there, that's, that's what the, the whole motivation of it all was. You know, the best part is when it's new and exciting and you're really inspired by the artist and what they're creating and that you're collaborating with them. You know, that's the best part. But that doesn't always make you money, unfortunately. So it's, that's that. This is Cyclone Static, Jonathan's band. 
Don't get mad that I won't play the complete song, you can find them on Spotify and Bandwagon and support them there and by getting the record of course. Anyway, here's the first cut I had to make, so I'm sweetening it a bit by letting you listen to this awesome band a bit more. And then it's on to part two. work for me yes there you go okay it's bullshit i want my money back zancaster i'm sorry that uh i'm um i'm not too uh internet savvy or this stuff so all right so um it's all your fault what do you want to talk about (laughs) well we want to do we want to do like um we're kind of talking about our history yeah, we've uh, been talking about our history, and it was um, that's kind of nice. I think it's also kind of interesting, and we try to relate to this to mm, what's happening today um, a little bit. And uh, but I think um, well, you were saying that like things are things that we cared about, like they just don't exist anymore, and about people having to be, or galleries and, and, having to be adaptable and. I don't necessarily think that they don't exist anymore. I think, you know, so I still care about a lot of the same things that I was caring about that time, but I think it was more rewarding doing it that, you know, sort of a few years ago. Right. Uh, and that basically brings us back to a lot of topics that we had in the, in the first, um, uh, uh, episodes of our conversations, uh, which has a lot to do with loyalty and trust. And the the time when we did that was it was e- probably easier to build up the loyalty and the trust. Even though I don't think it was so much better that time. It's not like we're looking back at that time and and there weren't people that fucked each other over over in the art world at that time. You know, it's still the same in a little bit. It's just now. It's just it's just for me the the frustrating element a little bit has. <sighs> today is that there's so much noise visual noise visual pollution you might say that it's very hard to find something that you can get other people you know that you can actually share with people and if if we have the intimate intimate situation of a gallery where we have an exhibition with an artist that can be very nice but i think today people are expecting more they're expecting a similar place we we have an exhibition that's super exciting where you know so like shepherd ferry 2000 square feet uh 3000 visitors today people expect this to be next door as well you know what i'm right. saying you know so right. it's not it's not it's not as unique anymore when i did this really huge exhibition here in hamburg uh at this 1600 square f- meter space uh with 30 artists from around the world that was truly exceptional nothing like that existed at that time here in Hamburg. Nothing like that was happening. And now it's yeah, it's basically happening with everything that comes up and pops up and seems to be interesting. Yeah, I know? mean at the end the, the reality of it is is that these if there was a need for the gallery in the way it used to be just as if there was a need for a lot of things that you know other businesses then we would be doing okay, but basically there isn't a need because it's all become we were a platform. We were a channel. Now there's thousands of channels, so we're not really needed in that way. And as much as disappointing as that might be, I mean, that's how I see it. I'm like, listen, if this doesn't work for me financially anymore, 
it's not working, something I've been doing for 25 years is not working, then I, they don't need me anymore. I just got to get over it. Like, it's like, uh, I mean, there may be like, you could sort of carve out a niche for yourself, but you know, you're not going to be able to do it on this grand scale. You know, I, I, I per, me personally, I'm not, I don't want to sit around and like be sad about the fact that it's gone. I just kind of want to move forward and find, you know, yeah. new solutions and happiness for myself. Life changes, you know, it's like, think about anyone in the music industry, like newspaper industry, the magazine industry, um, anyone that was like sort of, if you were a record label, if you were a, a news, news media, anything where you were kind of a channel of taste, everyone's lost their sort of like, uh, their influence and their power because everyone has their own channel now. Everybody has Instagram or Facebook and they can promote market and they don't need you or they don't need you as much as they need to. And they don't need you enough that it's profitable for you. Yeah. So, you know, everyone kind of gets kind of screwed in a way, but it's just life, right? No, I think I think that's that's a that's a very valid point. It's that's one part of the of the consideration sometimes when when you do things is what's um, what's actually the value for others. It's not just about me uh, having you know sort of great life running a gallery. It's also about who needs this and who wants this, and there will always be people who who want this and, and need this, but is this the right thing that we're doing now? And personally, <clears throat> going back to the beginning when I said I'm just basically doing one exhibition in the one exhibition in the first half year, but it's a great exhibition and I think it's enough. I can't I don't want to give people more than this because I don't think people will have the attention span for more than this. I go to other exhibitions. I see that people don't even react to what's happening there. I see that people like the event and the opening and nobody buys an artwork. So if this is also a business for me and for the artists involved, I think I can do more for the artists with this one show, at least on, on you know, now, um, than I could do with doing with each of these 15 artists, a solo exhibition. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's much easier to, if you have a really just a handful of really good relationships with artists who do re who do well and also, you know, whatever, not shows a year or more for me it what used to be like 18 to 20 or some some point it was even yeah. more than that that are going to produce so you can cover your overhead it's ridiculous you know and it can't work anymore so and it's just you know if 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 as a whole you know i can only talk about myself and my goals my goals weren't just to own a gallery my goals were to if that was the case i would have done things very differently um own a gallery and make money my goal was to sort of blow up a movement, you know, there's a lot of, yeah. uh, certainly a lot of hubris on my part, um, to be honest, you know, but I, yeah, but I mean, partly that's, you know, that's also what we did. I mean, it's something we've achieved. It's just now it's, it's, uh, it's a movement that is, uh, it is basically run by more run by, you know, sort of on a corporate level than it's run by individuals like you and me. And even though there are galleries that are run by individuals still, and there are strong characters and I appreciate unlike these guys, the, the, uh, the sponsors sponsorship alone, the, the amount of organization that is required by these huge festivals alone for, for street art and, 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 and urban art or whatever. I mean, look at the, the urban nation in Berlin, for example, that's not possible because there's, there's, there's Yasha who are really, really appreciate as a person. That's because there's, it's, um, it's a corporation that does that. 
and we're, yeah, and, like, and you and you and I we can decide to be part of that of that or build our own corporations but we did this from a different perspective and if you want to do something now that that gets the attention of people you need you simply need a lot of funds to to run it properly for promotion for i mean you need you need your three to four photographers who can fly drones over the city to take photos of the murals but we're part of the reason why this is happening today so i think on that level i'm 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 totally satisfied and it's it's a it's a it's a fast moving business i did not expect that i'm 75 and then we have the first big urban art uh, museum it's i'm happy that these things are happening now but it's just i don't have anything to do with it anymore because uh, my part is played i've done my part right and that's something you know sort of you ah. Sometimes hard to accept, but it's just the case. The the thing that I find sometimes frustrating for me that so little comes back, you know, in terms of okay, how? how I mean, I think it's a, it's a waste in certain points. Like somebody like you, if if you're if you're now running one of these, you know, sort of bigger ventures to to for 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 the for the for the galleries and for exhibition. I mean, look at what. Look at how huge uh, a cause has gotten. Look at how huge these this event in Venice that where he was part of, you know, with this huge sculpture. And you, you look around yourself, and everything is blown up in the proportions. But nobody's ever coming up with the idea and saying, "Hey, let's call Jonathan and get him on board." Or your, I mean, some people do. But it's it's like you know, so things are moving so fast and in 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 a speed that that is currently not really this. This will be also over soon. I mean, the good thing about having gone through a couple of life cycles of new uh, uh, bubbles, of bubbles. I mean, I've been part of the new economy as well. That was a huge bubble. I mean, we thought we were invincible, you know. Um, right. You know, how much money was lost then? How many careers were tanked? But also, how much energy came from this and we're having now a huge conference in hamburg which is called online marketing rockstars and it's huge it's like thousands of people it's huge festivals i think one of the biggest pop stars from and unfortunately i'm really bad with names of these people but she's a huge pop star she's a keynote speaker here i mean she has like i don't know 60 50 million followers on instagram and sells you know only gold records or platinum records whatever but they have this kind of of drag now, you know, for this for this event, and it's great that these these things are 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 happening. It's just everything's blown up, really, really big, and it's a it's a different, you know, sort of. It also will come to a hold <laughs> at some point, and people will think, "All right, oh, every, what's next?" Yeah, everything just gets cycled through, and you can't get kind of be part of the hype, and that's kind of, you know, if I had my way, I would be really not interacting with social media as much and everything because i just find it to be it takes away from what i think is actually important yeah. and but there's an expectation that we need to use this um so you know but, i mean you I'm, know we're not trying if it goes a different way i mean did you i mean i mean would you dare would you risk to try and say okay what happens if i don't use no, oh no absolutely much? not you know no, i'll so, keep using yeah. it but like um i don't want that to be you know my focus like hey how many likes i can get or i just you know, it's, that's just not, I like the market. Marketing is fun, but it can't just be all about that. It's just not rewarding. So, um, yeah. Are we going to, um, I was going to say, are we going to, we're going to talk about anything for like, we're going to have an artist question that we're, we're going to answer or today uh, or. 
Yeah, I've, um, but I got actually a question, <laughs> and that's a very obvious question, but it's still one we could probably think about for somebody who would uh, would be interesting in, uh, in opening a gallery. And um, and if we have any recommendations by talking the gallery concept down as much, um, if somebody says, well, but I want exactly this, I want a space. Sure, sure. I, part, think, you know? I, and, I think there's a way to encourage people about that. I mean we're at a different phase. I think if you want to run a small gallery that it can be done and it can be really rewarding when you've done it as for as long as we have, and it stops, you know, when you start losing money and you kind of have to, and you have family or a mortgage, kids, blah, blah, blah. You have to sort of approach it differently. It just depends where you're at and what your expectations are. And the main thing is like, keep your expenses low. Don't expect much and, you know, enjoy it. You know, that's, that's what I would say. Um, there's obviously a ton of advice we could give to people I, on how to, to make things happen and what works. I mean, I, honestly, I spend a lot of time with young gallerists that I'm friends with who are constantly asking me questions. What about this? What about that? And they're doing this. They're running the galleries. They're into it. But they're struggling for all the same reasons that we are or we have. And they have much. They have to sell a lot less and everything. So, you know, it's, it's really hard because you're competing against – you know, it's like you're competing against Amazon. It's going to be really hard um, for all the reasons we're talking about. It's 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 kind of, you know, you don't want to be discouraging, but it's almost kind of like, well, hey, I wouldn't tell you to do that because I don't see it being you. If if you have, if someone says to me, is like, I don't care, I can afford to do this, I don't need to sell a thing, I'm just doing it for fun. That's one thing, but if you you need it to generate income, that's a challenge. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just my honest opinion about it. Like, I couldn't really be. It's like if someone said to me, "Hey, you start a record label," I'd be like, "Are you high?" That's <laughs> ridiculous. And anyone who owns a label would tell you the same thing. Yeah, but if, yeah, but still, John, I think that's that. If if somebody is is, is driven and wants to open a gallery, I think this uh, the it's like in every kind of business, you have to look into what is what is actually separating you from from the rest. What is your what is what is what is so special about you that people will come to your gallery and that can be a personality that can be the space that should of course be the art that you're presenting but i have a i have a friend who's who has been collecting art for many many years and he's uh, he's a very very fine fine guy and a few years ago he just mm -hmm. found this space and started basically his own little gallery out of the blue and when i go to his space it's always really, really nice to be there. It's just so nice to be there. And that inspires people to buy. And he's doing a lot of, you know, it's cheap work. It's, it's, I mean, price wise, you know, it's like you can buy something for 50 euro or for 200 euro. You know, he also has the occasional 5,000 euro piece, but he, he separates himself a little bit from the way he do it, does the openings. He always has a speech, you know, like every, like the first hour is like everybody's coming around, looking around, drinking good beer. And, uh, and then he, you know, so has a talk and things like that. So find things that, that separate you, that make you more interesting than, than me, for example, you know, um, I mean, I have my clientele because they come here, they come because of me, they come because of the history, they come because it's, it's a unique place. It's, it's different. They come for many, many reasons. But if you start, 
there's probably just one reason why people will come, you know? So if you and I, we've done this for such a long time, people will be tempted to go to us because, you know, some people go just because it's Jonathan Levine and don't even care about the artist or the place. Um, so find something that, that makes you stand out. That's basically my recommendation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could give someone a lot of recommendations. Very hard for me. Like, I just put myself in the place of your friend and maybe, and that's how I was when I started exactly what he was doing in terms of a small very affordable and it was really fun and it was great but at some point and it's but it was a humongous amount of work and i could not continue on like that for the rest of my life it's not going to pay my bills and that sort of thing it inspires me and it feeds me um you know it, it fed me spiritually it fed me in a lot of ways but again and that's the thing if that's what you if, if that's if you want to keep it small and that sort of thing yeah you can make it work but it's not going to, and I hate to be, I'm not trying to be negative here at all. I'm just being a realist. It's not going to pay your bills um, no. in any kind of consistent way. And I have to talk about it that way because then it's like we're talking about it in La La Land. It's like, listen, then you could, you might as well just be doing anything that you enjoy doing. You're not going to make a living out of it, but you enjoy doing it. So, you know, I kind of can't separate the commerce from the sake of just doing it no, because I agree, you know, I mean, then my recommendation would be find good investment partners, find, find money, you know, so find a way that you can afford this and try to go on, you know, travel with the circus. You have to do art first, uh, you, you know, so you have to try to get, so you know, it, sort of be presented. So what I wanna, I'm going to yeah. interject here. I'm going to bust your balls a little bit. Is like, so you think there's sure. an end game and you think somebody can make this happen. You think there's an end game for someone doing this. You think they can build and grow a business doing this and that that's a reasonable expectation for them I to have. I think so because there are also examples where it works. But I think the main, the main factor for this, it can only work. And that's basically what I was trying to say now. Basically, it can only work when you, when you invest a lot of money in the beginning. You have to throw a lot of money into promotion into, you know, so you have to, you basically, you basically have to get to 100,000 followers on Instagram within the first year and you have to, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Come on, dude. That's yeah. totally unrrealistic. I know. That's it's, my it's, point. You have to, yeah, I mean, just, just exaggerating, but you have to you take money and in the world does not have to be your market. But if, even if you're locally in Hamburg, you have to be the place where in one year's time or as much you know, sort of time you give yourself to develop the business. You just look at it from a business perspective. You are the place people go to to buy art. Well, let me interject. So if that's the case, how come you and I aren't doing it like that anymore? I don't have the money, and I don't have anyone giving me the money to do this. But I you think did, you, I think you need, you need, and I think you need investors for that. So, but the investors have to constantly be giving you money endlessly. So there's no profit being made? No, no, there will be profit being made. I think if you manage to get to a certain level, you can make money. I mean, the big gallery is still making money. You have to become blue chip as soon as possible. You have to go big. <laughs> you have to be able... Yeah, I mean, but, okay, one thing. One thing I truly believe <laughs> is that if you have a really good running advertising agency, if you know marketing, if you understand PR and, and, uh, and, and advertisement, you can run a gallery. 
more so than people like you and me who started the gallery running it with artists. Because if you get the attention, if you create attention, if you manage to use what's happening today, if you go viral with a, a video that you produce of one of your artists, if you choose the right charities to support, if you choose, I mean, these things can go big, but you have to be an advertisement guru. That has always been the case. I mean, look at Sachi and all these things. Look at the, I, at I the to, you know. So I think you're talking about this on them. I have to really disagree. We're gonna, we can go back and forth on this, which should be interesting. <laughs> I sort of have to disagree with you in a lot of ways because I personally feel in my career I had a ton of that. And it doesn't sustain. And I, you, the kind of money you're talking about is like really big. So we were talking about it like millions of dollars you need. And so like I was a high end mid-level gallery that would generate on average two and a half million dollars a year. That's a lot of money. I know. If a, if a mid range gallery, and I'll just be very honest, can't that, that's, that's, that's pennies. Or I mean, if you, what I mean, compared to what you're talking about is, you know, Gagosian and Zwerner. I mean, these people are running businesses that are selling hundreds of millions of dollars worth of art. Most people, you're, so you're basically saying to this person who's asking, it's like, well, you really just need to find something. You have to be <laughs> stupidly rich, like stupidly rich. No, like find investors, find investors, go out there, write yeah, a business so, plan. So what does that mean? You find investors who lose money on your business, basically. No, I think you basically have to find a new idea how to do this. I don't and, know. But I mean, Jonathan, there's still galleries opening up left, right, and center. I mean, they, they're all wrong. They're all going out of business. I mean, there's a few galleries that they will I... Be. Yeah. Listen, if, if they say that most yeah. galleries don't last 10 years, I tell you what. Yeah. If I had to bet, okay, that's true. Me, like, I could just tell you all the galleries that have opened and closed during my, my, my like career in the arts and yeah. people, people galleries that people talked about that nobody talks about at all. They opening, they mostly they close. At this point, there was a slightly bigger gap, as you might recognize in a bit, or you don't, and you praise my skills as a producer. This time the interlude is softer as before with Cyclone Static as I'm fondling the guitar a bit while taking you through what we've talked about so it makes sense when the conversation restarts in a minute. So Jonathan is referring to a great book that was published in 2008 before the financial market crashed and the art market with it. It's called The 12 Million Dollar Stuffed Shark, The Curious Economics of Contemporary Art and was written by business professor Don Thompson. It is still a great read and worth checking out if you want to know how clever marketing targeted at insecure wealthy people created one of the biggest art buzzes of our times. Some bits are outdated, but hey, we all know that the next bubble will come and go as well. I've got to find her and find out the trouble she's in. Well, if you tell me that she's not here I'll just follow the trail of her tears That's how I got to Memphis That's how I got to Memphis Alright, let's stop this nonsense. You're not here to listen to some silly old country song, so let's get into the next part of this Helium Talk podcast with Jonathan Levine. $10 million stuffed shark, you think, or $12 million stuffed shark? The $12 million stuffed shark, what that was, that, yeah, that's probably the one of the Great. best books ever written. Yeah, that talks yeah. about the economics of the art of yeah. the art market, which was yeah. written 10 years ago. Yeah. So if they wrote about it now, it would be a 
completely different model they were talking about. I'd love to see that yeah. guy do an updated version of it. Yeah, um, that would be awesome. We should we should force him to. I should get him on the podcast. You should. Yeah. So you know that's. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't mean to be at all. Um, I'm not trying to, to be discouraging. I'm just just a reality here that like. Okay. It doesn't work long term. My point is, yeah, you can go out and you can do it and blah, blah, blah. But if you can't really say to somebody, hey, I can't say to someone, hey, I think this is a good thing for you to invest in for your future. It's like if you want to go out and have some fun, you might lose a bunch of money. It's going to be really hard. You might make some money. Just know it's really freaking hard. And the only way you can really make money in this if you're not, is if you're not coming from it at, from a passion. And if someone was like, well, yeah, that's why I want to do it. I'm like, find something that's easier to make money off. <laughs> Like it's go invest in stocks. <laughs> well, Seriously, it's, a, it's but it's interesting. You know, we started this in, like as a friendly conversation about somebody asking. You know, and if you and I would have any tips for somebody opening a gallery, we started with yes, of course, sure, you find something that you like. You know, find, some, and then we go into the business. And the bottom line is basically if, okay. As I ask this question again, do we have any tips for somebody opening a gallery today? I have one word: don't. <laughs> And you probably too, you know, after no, my, what we my, just said. <laughs> my tip is that you need to be realistic about what it is that yeah, you want to do and what your goals are. And I don't think it's, it's – you'd have to talk to the person and really find out what they – who yeah. they were. And you're like, okay, that could work for you. I'm like, is that really what you want? That's not going to work for you. I mean I think it's a very individualized question. So if someone said to me, should I be a painter, I'd be like, do you love doing it? Yes. Can you afford to do it? Yes. All right, then do it. Mm -hmm. You think you're going to make if you think are you asking me, should I be a painter because I'm going to make a great living off of it? I'd be like, chances are you're probably not. So I think it's the same thing with the gallery. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So that's my answer. I don't mean to be discouraging, but I'm just being realistic. I think this podcast, all we did was complain, though. This has been a complaining podcast. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> about the art market. I'm sorry, people. Although I feel like, you know, York was a little... <laughs> negative than I was this time around. I was more negative than you this time, I think so too, yeah. <laughs> but as I was but going back to, I mean, I'm also negative because this is going to be a podcast that's a hell of a lot of work to produce in the end because we switched, you know, I don't know, technology three times and we have all these dropouts and we have, you know, so really problems. I need to find a solution for that. Um that's also something that I'm thinking about, but also so but also basically, you know, from the beginning what I said, I'm I'm currently I don't even want to call it restructure because that's such a business term. I I think it's a, it's it's refocusing on on I I believe what's really important and that's something that's driving me these days a lot. And um and same as you, I have I have a I have a wonderful life. I have a great family. I have fantastic kids. I have a have a, have a beautiful and an awesome wife for almost thirty years now. I'm happy, you know. I'm happy in what I'm doing. I'm I'm healthy. Uh, my parents are still healthy in a way. Um, right. And and it's it's. I mean, I got friends and I got a great place and you know, so things are great. I mean, my one of my friends, you know, you you know that I'm that I'm doing also beer and that I'm also doing labels for the, the the beer company of a friend of mine and and uh, and he just opened a bar like a brew pub and I was I was so proud recently when when people came to me and said I mean the labels they're doing this beer is awesome but the labels they're they're also incredible things tiny things like I mean it's not a tiny thing I mean who can say that he drinks beer with his own label on top right, and it's right. and people people praise it so 
I'm very happy about a lot of, lot of things. I have a, 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 a tractor from the 50s. I do my music. I have friends like you that I can just call up in New York or New Jersey and talk with you, you know, for, for hours on end on, on, on a very, very good level. So I'm happy, but I'm also on a certain level frustrated insecure thinking about different things um not sure you know what what what, what the thing that i loved so much this gallery thing and art and exhibiting how it should continue and when the, even though we we talk a lot about things and we find maybe we find sparks that could get us back to that it's also just like a lot of the times where is this going to lead? And we don't know. And I think that makes me currently a bit more, uh, I don't find the right English word, but more uh, even depressed in a certain way. Yeah. Well, anxiety is a good word too, you know, but I mean, I think depressed thinking about these, these things is, is not really helpful sometimes. Yeah. No, I was going to say, you know, I go through, you know, I mean, not that you t you talk about your personal business, but yes, I've gone through some depression with this anxiety, not knowing what the future brings. But you know, I kind of, to you know, I, I just try to be spiritual about it. You know, I'm not a particularly religious person, but um, I just try to you know be really optimistic and just you know, one door closes, another one opens, or whatever the saying is. So, I mean, that's really what I try to focus on. And you know, when I'm open like that, the best things come my way. It's just, it's hard to change, especially when you get older. So, you know, yeah. that's what I, I would say about that. So we're going to have to, I would think, by the way, the title of this podcast should be uh, the wonky rambling <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we're like, we're really just kind of rambling. Uh, yeah. We're not, we weren't so focused this podcast. Um, no. But I mean, we haven't done one in, in a while and I yeah. think. You know, so it's just, it's all fair. It's all fair and fine. I'm really happy that we, that we managed to do this again. And, and uh, this is also one thing I'm getting really good feedbacks on our conversations. We, I sometimes think we're depressing people and we're just negative, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, sorry, uh, sorry <laughs> apologies. But I also think that's something that, that, you know, so it might be, it might be something that is needed right now. I don't know, but yeah. Oh, well. And things have their ups and their downs. And I would venture to say in the art world, very few people, at least people on our end, our side of the art world, are particularly honest about um, what's going on and what our perspectives are. Yeah. And so I think that's that's good for people to know. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more we can say. There. I'm sure there's a lot of things that we haven't covered that would be really helpful for people. Um, <laughs> seriously, you know, I yeah, mean... I know, I know, I know. And, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying, hey, if you're an artist, you're screwed. And I think mostly artists are listening to us. Um, if you're a gallerist listening to us, hey, I'm sorry um, that, you know, maybe we don't have the most positive things to say. But that's not to say that there isn't a way forward. We just don't know what it is. And we're just trying to figure it out. And, you know, it's a good way for us to kvetch. Do you use that word in German? Kvetch? No. That's a Yiddish word. I mean, complain. Um, that means to complain. Uh, you know, you know, we're just giving people like kind of a, a real experience. I mean, kind of in a way, to some extent, you and I edit what we say, but this is how we talk when we talk to each other. And people don't often get to be behind the scenes hearing two guys who, you know, are very similar, talk about these things and going through similar things. So um, hopefully that's, it doesn't get too boring for people. Um, that's what I'd say about that. Beautiful, beautiful last words for this podcast, I think. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, there's yeah. one last thing that, you know, okay, firstly, thank you, Jonathan, for taking the time. Thank you, Jonathan, for bearing with me with this technical fuck up that I'm currently having with these remote calls. Um, but, you know, sort of I say goodbye and you say to the people, choose, choose. <laughs> choose <laughs> all right let's not let's not take so much time until the next one <laughs> all right man likewise all right, all right. yeah i'll see you. see you bye yes we've made it well you made it through this podcast, but I made it through two hours of dealing with technical issues while talking with Jonathan, almost a whole day of post-production, and finally a podcast of roughly an hour length. Again, if you want to be my podcast producer, call me. Okay, let's close this now with a bit more punk rock from Jersey City. I feel this very special podcast deserves a very special outro, and as I have become more vintage country and western in my older days, let's stick with the more aggressive Cyclone Static with Jonathan Levine on the drums. Have a great day, you all, and enjoy what you're doing, always. Yeah.